give it up to the Lord. Let me pray for us right now. Lord God in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are in this place. As we see our brothers and sisters, you are dwelling within them. Your spirit is evident, God. Lord, we rejoice in the fact that we have you, that we can love you, that we can feel your presence. But God, we also, as we open your word today, some of us are going to feel it harder than others. Some of us are going to feel conviction. Some of us are going to feel regret. Some of us will feel desire. God, we ask that you would meet us exactly where we need to be met, that we would have changed hearts, changed souls. So when we leave this place, Lord God, let us not be the same men and women we came in as. Lord, let us go and be refreshed, renewed, and be your hands and feet. But God, we need your inspiration. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us. So Lord, we give you permission right now. We ask before you, God, that you would speak through your word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you that those people that you brought here that are listening right now are here for a purpose. Specifically at this time, Lord, you brought us all together for something great. So Lord, we say thank you in advance for that. And we look expectantly at what you'll do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Please be seated. High school, junior high, you're free. Get out of here. So... Be praying for those guys and their leaders. They need it. So, hey, you know what? We are in James. It's really exciting. And thank you, by the way. That was Neil that was leading us today. So very thankful. Yeah, that's all right. And Michelle, of course. You know, we can't forget her and everybody else. So, no. We're going to talk about cars here in a minute. Um, You know, we're talking about James. And James is a wonderful book, and James is a a remarkable book because what he's talking about is kind of like the the rubber meeting the road. We have gone through some serious study in the past year or so, and now we're in James, and James wants us to understand, hey, you know what, it's one thing to know about Jesus, but it's quite another thing to know Jesus. Because when you know Christ at a personal level, something happens to you. You'll see that the title of this series is called Faith That Works. See, a lot of times we forget that, you know, just putting our faith in Jesus, you know, a lot of Christians, they go, I'm saved by grace. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to trust him to save me from hell. And then that's it. And, And they miss out on a big chunk of what it means to be Jesus followers. And we have to grab hold of this because James was concerned for the early church. James is concerned, and I believe we're, we should be concerned about the church today. And so I was asking myself, well, what should we start, how do we start off this talk today? Because it might bring you around a little bit closer. And I, I thought of what the Hebrew, the, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, many of us, we understand this verse. And we see it like hope, Christian hope, is not some nebulous mist out there that we can't quite grasp. Christian hope is a promise. It's a fact. And so we believe in the truth. We believe believe in the fact that, you know what, I am saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We believe that. But then it says, the, th- the conviction of things hoped for. Now, that word conviction is elehas. And elehas means proved or tested. 
And so that means there is an action, there is an activity that's going on. It's proven, it's tested. So when you're proving something, when you're testing something, there's an actual thing that happens there. And so not only are we saved by placing our faith in something, we see the reality of that faith is now proven and tested in our lives. And that's what James wants us to understand, is we have to understand that our faith is actually something that is active. Let me give you this analogy. You know, how many people here have an automobile or have driven an automobile? Okay. How many people here have a wonderful experience of those Arizona summers when one day your automobile just doesn't start? Because why? The battery is dead. Every two years, thanks to the Lord, we can, we can plan on that, right? And the thing is, is, so what happens to your car? You know, the reality is, is you turn, you crank it over, and you hear it click. And there's nothing. That means your battery is dead. And it's pretty, pretty evident. You just go, man, my battery is dead, right? So the car can't fulfill its purpose, right? The car is unable to do what a car is do because generally, in general sense of terms, the car has a purpose. What is the purpose of an automobile? To transport you, to get you from point A to point B. Now, some people live in a world that I don't understand, that they have an automobile in their garage and they watch, wash with a diaper, all right? And, and that's wonderful for you. Just keep it to yourself because I don't have that. The thing is, is our cars, are, they're there for a purpose, and if they do not, if we get the little click, and what happens, there's something wrong with the automobile. And sometimes the automobile is worthless. It looks like an automobile. It's shaped like an automobile. But you know, all it is is a lump of metal and plastic, and it doesn't run. It doesn't serve any purpose but to get in your way. And a lot of us in our Christian life, we, we are like either one of those people that serve the purpose, that are just clicking and not turning over or maybe we're just lying to ourselves we might look like it but we're really truly not who we say we are see this is what james was getting at this was james concern for the early church see we've got to understand that if a person's faith uh, if a person's faith is real it will manifest itself in their works it will it's a natural byproduct for somebody that is saved and if, if, if it's not manifesting, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, your purpose, there's something wrong. Even there, maybe there's something dead in you. It's just clicking. It's not turning over. Or maybe you are just lying to yourself and maybe you're not in the faith at all. See, James was concerned about the church. He was concerned because there wasn't change in life. And so he wanted to address this. And so how do we address this in our lives today? As we look into the passage, James reveals something that we can test our faith, that we can see the evidence of our faith, of who we are in Jesus. And that's in this word called mercy. And many of us, we don't necessarily exhibit that. And so today I want to talk about the merciful believer. You and I are to be merciful a lot of times we don't really talk about this very much. We talk about grace, charos, and grace is a wonderful thing. But what is grace? Grace is a gift for the guilty. It's a gift that you do not deserve, that God bestows, and, and you can take advantage of. That's called grace. But what is mercy? Eleos. Eleos. And Eleos, what is that? It's God's love for people in their misery. That's what it is. God's love for people in their misery because a lot of times without mercy without God showing us mercy of his love of what that is we don't realize we are miserable we don't realize we are in a state of misery 
But when we compare it to the love of God, we, we see in His mercy, His mercy showing us His love, it reveals something about our lives. And I tell you, mercy is an agent of bringing people into grace because it gets us to identify that we need God. Now, James, in the passage we'll be looking at, he talks about rich and, and poor. Rich and poor. And the thing is, a lot of times, as we as Americans, we would consider ourselves rich in the terms of the world. And a lot of times, you know, God reveals his mercy to us, his love, and shows us our, menace, our, our misery. But what do we like to do in our misery? We say, you know what? Since I'm wealthy, I'm not going to respond to God. I'm going to respond in my way. You know what? I see that I'm not happy. I see that I'm miserable. So I'm going to hide it by maybe doing some things. I'm going to go down to the dispensary and get something to numb me a little bit. Or maybe it's a relationship. Or maybe it's some status. Maybe I'll get another job. Maybe I'll raise expectations. Maybe there'll be something else that will cover my misery. See, that's that's what happens to the rich people. The poor people already realize that they are destitute and they need help. And they got nowhere to turn. But we, in our great, wonderful life that we hold here, don't realize so often that we are miserable. And God wants to reveal that to us. And he wants to draw us in to his love and show us that there's something so much better. And that's how he's called the believer to live out. I think of the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. If You don't have to turn there, but it's in Luke chapter 10. And the story of the Good Samaritan is one we all know. And what happens in this story is a man falls into robbers, meaning the robbers took him, they beat him, they stripped him, they robbed him, and they left him for dead on, in the road. And a man came down the road who was a priest, and he, and he saw this poor man, and he didn't want anything to do with him, and he stepped around on the other side of the road and left him. And then another man who was a Levite, who was also a spiritual man, came down and he saw him. And we can have our reasons why. Everybody has a reason why they avoid. And they went on their merry way, not to help the man. But then the Samaritan came. And the Samaritans are, are, are half-breeds. They're the people that, that the Jews didn't even want to interact, let alone do business with, let alone speak to. He comes down the road. And what happens? He sees the man and he feels compassion for him. And then he takes care of the man's wounds, puts the man on his beast and takes him to an inn where he pays the merchant to look after him and to care for him and nurse him back to health. And then he said, I will repay you when I return. And Jesus asked the people, the people were asking him, you know, who's my neighbor? And Jesus responded very plainly like this in Luke chapter 10. And he says, which one of these do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell into, rob, into the robber's hands. And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. You see, church, we, we are those people that are called to show mercy. That's what a Christian does. It's a, it's a natural byproduct. It should be a natural byproduct for us to show mercy to people. And Jesus says to his followers, go and do the same. So what does that look like for us? And, and now we have to transition to us in the church. What does it look like to you and me in the body of Christ in that? And it, show, it shows this way to us. And I want you to write this down. Mercy is given 
by being impartial. It's very simple. Because we see that the Levite, we see that the priest and the story of the Good Samaritan, what did they do? They were partial. They thought, oh, I don't want any part of this guy. I don't want him to defile me. They might have their good reasons. Maybe he stunk a little bit too much. Maybe they were on their way to a temple and they didn't want to defile themselves. Whatever the excuse, they showed partiality. But the one person that showed impartiality was the true neighbor. And that was the Samaritan. We see this in verse 33. It says, but the Samaritan who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. So we see something there. He didn't just sit there and ponder. He said the moment when he saw him, there was compassion in his heart. See, the example is for us. The moment we see someone, we should naturally have compassion. We should naturally have the desire to show and exhibit mercy to someone. And it starts within our midst. See, in our primary passage, James is talking to the church. He's talking to us as how we interact. And he says this in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. He's saying, hey, don't, don't hold your, your attitude. You've got to show mercy to everyone. You've got to show compassion equally to everyone. This is what he's getting at. And he's talking specifically to the church, involving the church to each other. Because so often, what do we do when we come to church? Sometimes we might see some people that we don't really want to sit next to. That's why you're sitting over here and they're sitting over here, right? You know, we, we don't want to sit by those people. We, sometimes, you know, we, we don't desire to be with those people. We treat others, and we lack to show it. And we miss out on opportunities for relationship. We miss out on joy. Because we don't necessarily know what that other person has to offer. We just kind of go, well, they're a little bit different than me. And so he gives us a great example. And we can see the example in verse 2, and it says, For... If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a man, in, a poor man, in dirty clothes, you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit in the good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down by my footstool. See, there's partiality within the body. And why do we show it? And I'll tell you, it doesn't necessarily start off with, with bad motives. We got to deserve a little bit of benefit of doubt, right? We might look at them and go, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like redheads. That's all right. That's about it, you know? Just kidding. Or maybe, maybe it's just like, you know, I, I, I just want to sit by them because, you know, I, I, I interact with them. I, I, they they kind of like, you know, they understand me. And they're the kind of people I like. You know, that other person over there, I, you know, I don't know them, but, you know, it's just somebody that I just don't really, I don't think we would really hit it off. And so we, we may come with, with okay understandings of people and just say, you know, I just don't want to, you know, be that kind of person, that friend to them, because I, I just don't think we'd click. So we got to watch ourselves with this. See, it says in verse 4, it says, you have not made distinctions, or excuse me, you have not made distinctions among yourselves, and 
Have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? See, neglecting somebody is an evil motive. Because maybe they're not dressed the way you want them to dress. Maybe they have that piece of food right there. Maybe that's stinky, you know, whatever it is. We might have these motives. We go, ah, you know, and we take it lightly. But the reality is, is we're not showing, you know, impartiality in the body of Christ. Back, uh, Laura and I served at a church years ago, and Laura was in charge of the benevolent ministry. And so she had a team, and they figured, they developed a a way to interview people. Because people would come and fill out an application, and maybe they needed help with rent. Maybe they needed food or to pay some bills. And so we wanted to help them, but they, they had to go through an interview process. And some thought that was a little rough, but we wanted to know the story. Because a lot of times we didn't know what the story was, where, where they sat. And so some people would come and, and yeah, they, they weren't very um, appealing to have around. And then some would come dressed to the nines, and, and we wanted to understand where they were at so, so we could make a good determination, right? See, in James' day, we forget that he was talking to Christian converts that were Jews. And, and in the Jewish culture, if you converted to Christianity and you were a Jew, you were ostracized in the business community. And so that means you would lose a lot of times your way to make money. You would lose time to, to, to interact with people and to build those relationships. So you would often lose out on your family. You would forfeit your home many times. And so you become destitute for the faith. And James, he understood this. And, and, and so he didn't want people to make a judgment call because it wasn't because of lack of not working or education or desire. And we have to guard ourselves from that today. See, we don't know where people's situation is, what it looks like right now. And we have to guard ourselves from that. Because I'll tell you, some in this room are just a breath away from being destitute. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're here right now, and and you you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, how you're going to make the next month's rent. And you mask it really well. You can dress and you look good. But we sometimes, in a, in, a, in a situation that where we are at, it's difficult. I mean, I had to fill up three cars at Costco this Friday. That's nuts. I mean, it's just getting stupid expensive, right? I mean, you can go and it's like, well, costs keep going up, but wages don't. The reality is there. I found this. Federal Reserve Economic Well-Being of U.S. Households. In 2022 report found two-thirds of employees noting they'd have difficulty making ends meet if their paycheck was delayed one week. You realize two-thirds of workers. That's a scary place to be. It's a sad place to be. How about this? As of June... 61% of adults still say that they are living paycheck to paycheck according to Lending Club report, a new Lending Club report. This is unchanged from a year ago. 61%. I mean, I I don't have an indefinite bank account. I don't have the the money to, to, you know, go out and do. Things are getting tighter all over. And we can't make judgment calls on who's who because I'll tell you, even the rich are just a breath away 
They could lose it all, and I've seen that happen. And we have to understand, we cannot show impartiality towards people or, or be partial to people. We have to show this mercy because we are in the same boat together and making judgment calls on people that we don't know, that is a terrible place to be. So how do we, how do we approach this? How do we deal with this in our lives? And, and it's very, very smart to think this through. And the best way to do it is understand this next point is being impartially merciful. It's rational. It's a rational thing. It makes sense. So often we do things out of being irrational. You ever decide, I'm going to be a friend of that guy because maybe they'll give me Cardinals tickets? Look, if I had Cardinals tickets, I wouldn't give it to you. Man, I want to go to the game. The thing is, there's so many people, you know, hey, uh, maybe if I, there's a rich guy over there, I'm going to be nice to them because maybe they'll give me what I want or something. It'd be great to be their friend. I can go to their parties, right? You remember doing that in high school? That's high school. The thing is, is that's not reality. That's not who we're called to be. It looks silly. Did you know it's demeaning to you? Because people see that. People see you catering to somebody. I mean, how would that look? Come into the, someone comes into the assembly and you say, oh, oh, sit over here. You know, people see. And not only do people see, the person you're doing it to sees. And you're demeaning them. It's showing impartiality. Look, look with me at verse 5. It says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Now, we understand here, you know, Paul, or excuse me, James is addressing, you know, hey, it, it, God came for the poor. It doesn't say that he didn't come for the rich. Well, that's not what he's saying at all. But we have to understand, both rich and poor need Jesus, but it's the poor who kind of get sidetracked going, hey, maybe if I be nice to the rich guy, I'll get something from it. But we have to understand, too, the rich people have a hard time coming to Jesus because in their misery, they think they can cover it up with something else, remember? Let's cover it up with that wonderful thing that'll make them happy. And the poor man, you know, they don't have the answers in wealth. So church, ask yourself, is your mercy and love genuine or with an agenda? Does it come with an agenda? So often we have to guard ourselves. Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? Realize this. The poor are going to be just as wealthy in heaven as the rich guy. You are going to be just as wealthy. And you know what? You'll be wealthier now if you follow me. That's what we have to understand. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name, that's Jesus, by which you have been called? You see, now that the Jews, they were, they were talking, hey, those Jews were suppressing the Christian Jews. And they, were, they would try to harass them and take them into court because they could and cheat them. And he says, hey, don't you realize what you're doing? Showing impartiality, it doesn't make any sense. It's irrational for you to do that. And that's like today as well. Because, I mean, like today, you know, materialism, it corrupts the soul. It even perverts the soul. It makes us think, you know, hey, if I get that much more stuff, I, it'll be much better for me. 
if I, if I get that thing. I mean, we see it, how it perverts how we look at the world. I think of, you know, so often, you know, I think of Washington. And I don't care what your political background is. If you, if you got a dim behind, D behind your name or an R and where you stand. You know, isn't it amazing? We, we hire somebody to go represent us in the Capitol. And they go in making a okay salary, but they come back millionaires. It's like, man, it's, it's on both sides. You know? And, and, and it's probably from some shady business deals. It's probably from some kickbacks of, of doing some things. You know, it's not right. Yet they don't get in trouble for it. They, they get elevated and praised. And then, then you get a, a man that can't make ends meet, and he's struggling to feed his family, and he might commit a crime which is just as bad as the politician, but what happens? He goes to jail. You see, we see impartiality in life. And it's not rational. It's irrational. And we see that, and we see that reality that's before us. And then what would happen? You go, yeah, that, I'd never do that. But what would happen if your favorite politician comes into church? Say, oh, sit here. Sit here in the good place. And yet the guy that got out of jail for doing something like feeding his family, he'd say, well, sit in the back. That's a shame on our side. That's impartial. That's showing partiality, and it doesn't make any sense, and we don't want to do that. It doesn't make any sense to do these kind of things. See, God loves everyone, and we can't, we can't, we can't discount circumstances that we don't know. So we, we think of it that way, but also understand this. Being impartially merciful demonstrates your faith. This is what, what James wants us to understand. You want to exhibit who you are. You know, it's going to show out in this being impartial towards people and showing mercy to people. You're going to see it. It's going to be working through you. Look with me now at verse 8. It says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself look at this you are doing well see when you aren't being partial to somebody you are doing well you are doing what you're called to do you you are following what god wants you to do i mean look how look how paul says it in galatians chapter 5 verse 14 and it says this is for the whole law is fulfilled in one word the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself i mean do you want somebody loving you because you got stuff i mean that's cheap love i mean the, the, the moment you have it your friends are gone you want somebody that respects you and loves you for who you are in your and your soul not somebody who just desires something from you and be your friend you see you can love on both sides whether you have money or you're poor some of my best friends are poor and some of my best friends have money and i don't want things from them they're just cool people don't you want to be that cool person that's what i want to be so often as a pastor, people want to be my friend because I have the word pastor in my title. They think, hey, you know, I'll get close to him. Maybe I'll get close to God, right? Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> or, you know, maybe, hey, I can get what I want from the church. I can get something. And we see that. See, I want people to like me because I'm me. See, God hates impartiality look with me if you would at verse 9 now it says very plainly 
and sin. But if you show partiality, you are committing a sin and are convicted by the law of transgression. See, the thing is, is God, he hates it. He don't like it. I mean, very simply, I just said it. Maybe we should say it again. It says, it says God hates impartiality. It's sin. When you favor somebody over somebody else, now there's a natural thing. I favor my family, yes, but the reality is, is I am to love others equally like myself. I want people to like me. See, God hates, I mean, we should probably say this. God hates impartiality. Look, let's put that up there. Let's say this together. God hates impartiality, or partiality. I always get those two confused. He hates it. God hates it, and we should too. And he goes on, look at verse 10 now. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in, in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, and also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you commit adultery, but do not commit murder, but, but do commit murder, there you go, you have become a transgressor of the law. Basically, it's saying to the Jews, and they understood that if you screw up one place, you're screwing up in all the places. See, Christians, we like to come in, and we like to come to a church, and we like to do everything we want to do, but when you willingly show partiality and ignore somebody and you're avoiding that person and in, in the sense of you don't want anything to do with them you know that's a sin to god that is that is that doing what the, the good samaritan did oh sure you know sometimes we're not gonna like it oh we're not gonna like it my mother you know she she's a great soul when it came to things like this like there was a lady at her church that you know uh, was pretty annoying and maybe that's why they got together. I don't know. But anyway, it's just pretty annoying. And she was a hard person. And actually, you know, I went to college with her son. I didn't realize this till after. And she said, yeah, this woman. But I decided I'm going to be her friend because she doesn't have any other friends. And, that, and they were tight for years. And she just learned to, to put the, the abrasive side aside and to, to let her into her life. And she saw the genuine heart of a person that never got opportunity because people just said, she's annoying. And we have to approach it like that. There are some wonderful people in here, and we just can't get beyond the outer shell. We can't get beyond what they might look like, the appearance, or maybe the, the way they eat their food. The thing is, is we need to get closer and understand that we are God's instruments. See, understand, mercy is another way of fulfilling God's law and displaying your beliefs. It's another way of doing it. You believe in Jesus? Elehas. Elehas is, it's proven. It's tested. And you know what? Sometimes you're not going to feel like it. But we need to do it. Because being impartial reflects the mercy I receive. You have been given a wonderful gift. God, in His mercy, showed you His love and it cast light on your misery. It cast light on the, 
the life that you were living without God. And it showed that you needed His grace. And you wanted to experience His love. And God gave you that opportunity. And we, having received that, should naturally share that. As it says in verse 12, it says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, by the gospel. I I wrote it in layman's terms. Live as a person who was saved and who will be judged by God's grace. You see, one day... We're going to be, be up there at the Bema Seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And we're going to stand there, and we're going to be recommended for the deeds that we've done in the flesh, whether right or wrong. We're going to receive the, the crowns, the jewels for what we have done right, and we're going to miss out because a lot of works we've done with the wrong motives. And I've done that. I've liked people because if they had something I desired. I went after it with the wrong motives. What a shame. I've wasted that. And some of us are wasting it right now as we look around, as we see others. We waste it. But we shouldn't shouldn't live like that. We should grab hold of who we are and look forward to the opportunity that men and women that could be merciful because it's a natural byproduct. Look at verse 13. And it says, For judgment will be merciless. To the one who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment now very interesting here so james makes a transition james starts talking to the church now remember what james is concerned about he's concerned if the church if there are those that are operating in their in their purpose like the automobile, the, the automobile is, has a purpose to go from point A to point B for transporting. And then there are some automobiles that just click over and go, there's nothing going on. And there are some that are just a shell that look like an automobile and that aren't. And so James is concerned about this. And James is saying in this, he's transitioning, and he's saying, you know what? There are some that didn't receive the mercy and they're going to face that judgment he's saying very plainly if you don't give mercy have you ever received mercy do you understand what it truly means see he's talking now to the unbelievers because if you aren't saved you can't give mercy you might say, whoa, what, why would you say such a thing? I know plenty of people in our world that show mercy. No. They show mercy with motive. They show mercy for something that we can't necessarily identify. Maybe it's to feel good inside about what they've done. Maybe it's to gain points with the great creator because maybe they'll get to heaven. Maybe it's to let people see the wonderful people that they are. We don't know. But I'll tell you, they can't give mercy. And I'll tell you why. The unsaved reflect nothing of God's love and care because they know nothing of it. See, mercy is God's outflowing from the believer. That's the reality of what it is. They can't do it because they don't know the merciful God. And when the believer is saved, 
When the Holy Spirit enters them, they are now the hands and feet of God. And so mercy becomes a byproduct for them. And that is what the Christian is. And that is where the joy comes. Now, there are many Christians, even in this room, that you know what? Maybe you're not clicking. You just feel, you hear the click and it's not turning over. Why is that? Maybe you're not stepping out in faith. You are not testing your faith. You are not proving your faith because there's an activity. See, a lot of us, we don't go out and do because we wait for the, for the good feeling. Sometimes it takes an action to move forward. And once you go forward, then that compassion comes, or it might come after the fact. See, we don't live on emotion. That's the world. We live because the Holy Spirit guides us, and we're compelled by God to act. That's what it means. Because understand, church, mercy is a work of God who is living through you. Boom. And maybe you don't feel it at all. Maybe you don't feel God's mercy. You don't have any desire whatsoever to be obedient in that. Maybe you're just a shell of plastic and metal. See, that's what James is afraid of. And that's what's all over the world these days. People masking themselves. Because it says very plainly, mercy triumphs over judgment. See, you're gonna, if you're saved, you've experienced God's mercy, and now it should flow through you, church. That's what it's about. That's who we are. We have, we have escaped judgment because why? The mercy of God was given to us and we accepted that and moved forward and enjoyed his gift of grace because we realized our guilt and our need for his love. So, when mercy flows through us, our salvation is seen. And maybe you haven't seen that. So you have to ask yourselves, where do I stand? I'm going to have Masato come up and we're going to experience communion together and take the Lord's Supper. And the wonderful thing here is that as we have to understand is you have to ask yourself as you approach God's table, first of all, where do you stand? Do you have the desire to be a merciful believer and show impartiality and love the believers and love those who seem unlovable? Maybe you're not working. You're not even turning over. Or maybe... You've never experienced God's true grace and mercy. Check yourself. Let me pray for you. Lord, we have a choice to make each day. A choice to be obedient and deliberate in our faith. And God, sometimes very difficult to do. To step out and love an unlovable person. But that is what you've called us to do. Someone that's beaten up by life. And God, there are some believers here that we have dropped the ball, and I've dropped it many times, and I've showed partiality. And God, I pray, and I ask for forgiveness, and I thank you for that forgiveness. Lord, help us to love people no matter what. And maybe there's some here that have neglected that. And that's where your opportunity is. You come before the table of God and you repent of that sin. And you go forward in, the, in a new direction to let Jesus 
live through you as being his hands and his feet. And maybe you're here and you've never experienced God's mercy. You might look good, but you just don't know what it's truly like. That's when you ask Jesus to save you because you realize that you've been covering it up, your misery up with things, with status, and maybe even a position in the church. God, I pray that they would say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I believe what you did. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again on the third day, and now you are at the right hand of God, and you died for me and rose again for me, and Lord, I want you to save me. Please save me. That's what we say. So God, you know people's hearts. Lord, we pray for conviction. We pray for desire. We pray that we would not leave at this, this church the same as we came in. And so at this table, God, we ask that you would move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As the servers hand it out, just hold on to that and we'll take it together.